Why is that? asked the boy to the teacher. Promptly and without hesitation, the teacher ignored his question and replied, You must raise your hand to ask questions. Do not blurt them out. She then, without the slightest change in tone, resumed the lecture right where she left off. Being not one to disobey, he simply nodded and continued his attempt to understand the complex mathematical concepts in which she was teaching. He scribbled down notes as quickly as he could, yet he was still unable to catch up with the monotonic drone of her voice, nor the immensely scripted and impassionate flow of her drawings and bulletin points. As instructed, he raised his hand for a question, to which the teacher said, I will take questions at the end of class. With this thirst for knowledge unquenched, the boy put his hand down and nodded with visible obedience, yet invisible disappointment. To that regard, he continued anxiously scribbling down notes until, finally, the bell rang and the class was dismissed. As instructed, the boy approached the teacher and asked, Why is that the derivative of cosine of x is sine of x? To which the teacher replied, We will discuss the theory behind it next week. For now, do your homework. Okay, well, I guess I'll see you tomorrow then. Have a good rest of your day, replied the boy. You too. See you tomorrow. When he got home from school, the boy immediately began working on his homework. Although it was difficult at first, his intelligence allowed for such difficulties to evaporate. The homework then evolved to be more of a nuisance than a tool of learning. As such, he finished all his assignments within two hours. The boy then began playing video games, during which a friend texted him and asked whether he wanted to hang out. Having not seen this particular friend in a while, he asked his mother if he could go. To this, she replied, ask your father. Okay, he said, and went out to the backyard to ask his father, to which he replied, I actually need help raking these leaves and hauling them to the dump. After that, you can go. The boy promptly nodded, picked up a rake, and began working as quickly as he could. But of course, the task took almost two and a half hours, and by this time, dinner was ready. The boy texted his friend, Hey man, I just finished helping my dad rake the yard. I'll come over after dinner. A few minutes later, his friend replied, I'm not feeling like hanging out anymore. I'm honestly pretty tired. Disappointed at yet understanding of the situation, he simply shrugged, put his phone away, and sat down with his family. At the dinner table, his mother asked, How's school going? It's pretty good. I have all A's. Hey, good job, buddy, began his father. Have you selected your major for college yet? There's only a few months until you graduate. Yeah, I was thinking I want to major in philosophy. His father chuckled and said, Well, there's no money in that. You're good at math. Why don't you major in accounting? The boy shrugged and hesitantly responded, Uh, yeah, that would be a good idea. The conversation shifted to the meaningless yet practical contemplation of whether or not they should purchase a new couch. Leaving the metaphysically wearing thought of becoming an accountant to bounce around in the background of his mind, the boy simply continued eating. Stripped of all his passion, he listened indifferently to all the dreary happenings of adult life. That night, the boy laid in bed, staring upon the darkness of the ceiling. He thought to himself, Why must I ask for knowledge and receive nothing but more questions? Why must I follow all these rules, yet receive nothing but more rules? Why must I work so hard, yet receive nothing but more work? Why? Why? Why must this be this way? 
A few years passed, and the boy was now in college, working towards an accounting degree. One day, he had a spike of courage, and he called his father and said, Hey dad, I think I'm going to change my major to philosophy. His father then replied, Well, if you do that, you're going to have to pay for college yourself. The boy replied defiantly, That won't be a problem, I'll get a job this week. And the boy, now a rebel, soon gained full-time employment doing clerical work alongside his classes. The following semester, the rebel enrolled in various philosophy courses, one of which the students were instructed to write a 10-page paper regarding the meaning of life. With fervid passion in his body, mind and soul, the rebel wrote as if his life depended on it. Proud of his work, he turned it in and waited his grade. He then went to class a few days later, and the professor called him aside at the end of the lecture. Criticisingly, he instructed, Your paper is too long, and the structure is not preferred. You must rewrite it, or you will receive an F. The rebel replied defiantly, That won't be a problem. I'm fine with an F. A few weeks passed, and some major events emerged from the news. Consequently, a new law passed, much to the rebel's disliking. With that, he wrote angrily in regard to the insurmountable obstruction of privacy, and thus liberty that such a law imposed upon the citizens of the state. He sent his writings to his legislators, and he continued to write passionately in blogs and social media regarding the law. In doing so, the rebel became the head of a whole new movement to reduce the power of the government. Sometime after he graduated from college, the rebel received a letter from a congresswoman asking how he would reform the government. Indeed, such a question was valid in regard to how much the rebel disliked the status quo. After much ponderance, however, the rebel realised that his mind had been so cladded with anger that he could not think of any better way to reform the government, especially with the safety concerns present. He simply wrote back with a sincere apology and acknowledged that he was unsure of how the government should move forward. That night, the rebel laid in bed staring upon the darkness of the ceiling. He thought to himself... Why must I have so much anger, yet all of it goes to nothing? Why must I fight so hard to change the world, yet I know nothing of how to change it? Why must I voice my opinions of the world, yet I have not even created my own? Why? Why? Why must it be this way? Many years passed, and the rebel worked multiple different jobs, travelled through much of the world and met a diverse range of people. Never wasting a single moment in the confused, subverted state of anger, the rebel, now creator, spent every second of his free time in that constant, passionate flow of writing that he always dreamed of. Here, he asked questions and was pleased to find more questions. Infinite questions. Here, he saw the perilous cries of the world and did not join, but rather found new worlds to create. Infinite worlds. Here, he heard the judgment of others and gave back only his love, infinite love. Here the world was nothing but games, infinite games, and here the universe was his, and along with it the ultimate freedom, infinite freedom. And thus, free from the bounds of society and the abhorrent clasp of ignitation, the creative spirit soared to the highest depths of existence, finally in that childlike state of pure serenity. Finally, he was at peace. In Thus Spoke Zarathustra by Frederick Nietzsche, he writes a series of philosophical speeches from the perspective of ancient protagonist Zarathustra. 
one of which titled On the Three Metamorphoses, begins as quoted, Of three metamorphoses of the spirit I tell you, how the spirit becomes a camel, and the camel a lion, and the lion, finally, a child. You see, Nietzsche believed wholeheartedly that the spirit, that entity which embodies the life force of the human being, has the potential to grow and develop over time. The lowest form of the spirit, the camel, is that which is enslaved entirely with the bounds of society. Consequently, Zarathustra compares society to a dragon whose name is Thou Shalt. This dragon is regarded as the master of the spirit and his golden scales represent all the value that has ever been created, gleaming and reflecting all those millions of perilous commands which society presents to the spirit. To that regard, the camel is imprisoned by the dragon, forced to do its bidding. Yet, one mustn't think of the camel as weak, for it bears all the weight of the dragon, carrying this burden wherever it goes. Indeed, the camel is so enslaved by the dragon that, if the dragon were to ask the camel to walk through its flames, it would do so without question nor query. The camel accepts false truths, loves those who hate it, and does whatever it's told. Yet the weight is too much to bear, and thus the camel marches into the desert, the loneliness and most barren of deserts. Here, Zarathustra declares the camel becomes the lion, and the lion, with its mighty roar and sharp claws, desires nothing more than to defeat, once and for all, its master, its lord, its god, the dragon. Thus, to every thou shalt, that is reflected off the seemingly invincible scales of the dragon, the lion roars with pride that subtle yet stern and lovely word, no. The lion declares no to duty, no to values, and no to each and every scale, fiery breath and evil glare of that dragon. Yet, as Zarathustra declares, the lion has not the ability to create new values. No, all the lion can do is fight for the freedom to create new values. Thus, there is one final metamorphosis. That is, the lion must finally become the child. But why? Why would a mighty, ferocious beast need to become a child? Well, to that regard, I'll leave you with the words of Zarathustra. The child is innocence and forgetting, a new beginning, a game, a self-propelled wheel, a first movement, a sacred yes. The game of creation, my brothers, a sacred yes is needed. The spirit now wills his own will, and he who had been lost to the world now conquers his own world. Thank you for listening.